This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program Warning with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, the founder and president of World Ministries International and Eagle Saving Nations. Today, we are going to listen to a message delivered by Associate Pastor Ty Gullstrom, recorded February 18, 2006. The title of this message is The Debt of Love. Now, let's begin. Well, hallelujah. The Lord is good, amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. It's been an interesting morning for me. My wife and I went to bed last night peacefully and feeling well. And I had a great plan of getting up about 5 and preparing a sermon, and then my wife decided to get up at 4.30 and complain of pain. So she wasn't feeling well, and so I was taking care of her and getting the children well, and I started grumbling before the Lord, and, you know, I, the worship leader can't come, and I don't got a sermon prepared, and, and uh, Lord, what's going on? And he goes, he goes, he said two things to me, really. He said, it's not about you. And then he said, you know, when you spoke to that lady at the clinic a couple weeks ago, you weren't formally prepared either. And he kept reminding me of times where he can use you even if you don't have anything formally prepared. Amen? And so I started to repent and say, Lord, sorry for grumbling and complaining. But I want to say one thing. I am very, very proud of people that stepped up here today. Dr. Mike did a great job. I don't know if he's ever had a time before where he's had to worship lead. Um, but he did a wonderful job. And so I was blessed to see just the worshiper, because Dr. Mike's a worshiper. He loves to worship the Lord, and in the leadership that God has given him, he put those two together and did a great job, and so I'm very proud of you, Dr. Mike. Thank you for stepping up, and Jessica always amazes me. I didn't even know she was going to play piano until she they ran home to get some chord sheets, and she did a fabulous job, so thank you so much, Jessica. We're very proud of you, and uh, thank you, Melissa and Kristen and Jamie, who stepped up, and we just had a great time before the Lord. And so I'm just thankful. And I, I bet Tamara uh, will be very proud to hear how people have stepped up and it was wonderful. So we have a good team here. And so thank God. So people st- stepped up for the worship leader. I'm wondering who's going to step up for the preacher today and come preach a message. <laughs> okay. I guess when you point the finger, you got a couple coming back at you. Huh? <laughs> well, we're going to start... Uh, in Romans chapter 13 today, if you have your Bibles. There's been a little bit of a theme we've been speaking on the last few weeks. We've talked about contentment. We've talked about moderation and simplicity. And I think those are all very important. And as I was 
spending just a few minutes this morning praying and asking the Lord what to share, he brought me to Romans chapter 13, and that he brought me to verse number 8, and we're going to start there. And what the direction I think that we're going to go today is the Lord's been convicting me and showing me areas in my life about contentment and about simplicity where I have erred over the years. And one of the ways that I have erred is even financially, where you make bad investments, where you buy things that you ought not to buy. Is anyone ever guilty of that? Buying things you ought not to to buy? (laughs) You know, we've talked a lot about this society, how this society is very good about promoting that you need more, right? Our society is very good. And one of the things I'm convinced about is when all these commercials on TV or wherever you might see them are promoting that theme of you need more to be happy, I believe they're not marketing so much to the rich. Why? Because the rich among us are just a, uh, just a small percentage. What they're talking, they're, they're going after is they're going after the low middle class because that's the majority, right? And it's the low majority that are more tempted to reach out and to grab. And so... One of the things that the Lord, I mean, that's kind of where I fit in, is that, is that kind of class. And, and, and I've made some errors over the time, and, and it's cost me. And I think all of us here, if you've ever used a credit card, have had times where you wish you didn't have that credit card, right? And the Lord starts to tell me, he says, you know, Ty, when you look at a credit card, when you look at all the positives of a credit card, and you look at all the negatives of the credit card, would you weigh it out for yourself? You know, we used to always use excuses. Well, I got to have a credit card in case I got to rent a car. Or, you know, we... That doesn't, that doesn't go anymore, does it? You can use your debit card, right? You hardly ever need a credit card. And so the Lord has been convicting me about areas of financial indebtedness. And I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time, but I want to spend a couple scriptures talking about that same theme of contentment and even financial debt and the principle of bondage and slavehood that comes with it. And then I'm going to go from the financial. I only want to do the financial to make a couple of points about financial, but I really want to use that more as a, as a way to get to the spiritual application about being in debt and what that means for us as Christians today. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, it, this is what Paul says. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. It says, Keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The NIV says it this way. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now that's a good scripture, amen? We can get really uncomfortable with that scripture, can't we? We don't know what to do with those scriptures, do we, in America? We don't know what to do with that scripture. So we gotta, we got to twist the scripture a little bit. we got to make exceptions and those types of things. But I tell you what, if you went to the majority of the world and you said, no, oh man, anything, the majority of the world, especially the third world, would have no problem with that because they don't have anything anyway. But in America, we have a huge problem with scriptures like that because we don't know how to do with it. We don't know what to do with it. Ooh. We're all guilty, right? I'm so guilty of, of, being not, of being slothful in these areas. And so the way that I've used this scripture in my, in my life is I've looked at it as 
as more of a, this is an ideal. And the Lord says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I believe that's an ideal that we should always be going towards, and Jesus will help you do that. I believe that we ought to be very careful about our financial debt. I believe we should be very careful. It says in, um, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. And this is really the reason why Paul says to be very careful and not be in debt to other people. And it comes down to the principle of slavehood. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says this. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Do you catch that? I like how it says in the New American Standard, it says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And when I started thinking about this, there's some truth to that I got to recognize here. It's because when I owe people stuff, whether it's a credit card bill, whether it's a car payment, whether it's a house, I'm not going to go and say you shouldn't have, you shouldn't borrow to have a house. But what I want to make is the point so you can apply it to your life. Every time that you owe people something, to some regard, you are a servant or a slave to that person. They have a certain amount of control and authority over your life. You don't believe me? Just stop making your payments. And you'll find out very quickly how aggressive they will be with you. You know, I think 20 years ago, it might have been a little different, or 30 years ago. I tell you what, if you're like five days or seven days and you miss a payment, you'll get a lovely phone call or something in the mail, and they can be very aggressive. And so whenever we borrow, whenever we have debt to somebody else or some other company or some other bank, there is a certain amount of control that we place on them over our lives. And I believe this is why Paul says, oh, no man, nothing. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be controlled by man. He wants you to be controlled by the Lord. I have a desire. My wife have, has a desire. You know, her growing up in the mission field, I've done several mission trips. We, have, we want to be open to the Lord. If the Lord wants us to go overseas someday, we want to be open for that call. You know what? I am never going to get that call if I'm in debt. Right? Because you can't go nowhere when you're in debt. Right? There's a bondage. There's a, there's a matter of things where God can't speak to you in certain ways. There's certain things he cannot even use you for until you're willing to put yourself in a position of freedom. Why speak to you and say, go to Africa? First thing he'll say to me is, go and pay off your debt. And then I'll speak to you. Right? And the Lord has been showing me over the last few months that some of my debt has kept me from hearing the voice of God. It's kept me from the clarity. It's kept me from being able to hear the will of God for my life. God is just standing back and saying, as soon as you do the things you ought to do, I'll give you a commission. I'll show you what you need to do. But he shows me that there's areas in my life where I've made mistakes in my finances and I have placed a control. I have placed myself under the lender. Amen? And that affects our relationship with the Lord because there is implications of slavehood. I mean, Jesus Christ came what? To basically to set us free so that we are no longer slaves to sin. No longer are we outsiders, but he has called us sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
He has done everything, and we'll get into those spiritual application, but there is implications for being a slave. If you go to a house and you have a son and then you have a slave, they don't deal the same in that house, do they? If you were to go to some third world country and a man had a couple of sons and he had a few slaves, he wouldn't treat necessarily, there wouldn't be the same rights for the son as for the slave. There are implications of slavehood. Yeah? There are certain rights that you have as a son that you will never have as a slave. And so the Lord is basically on a physical thing, on a material thing here. He is saying, don't get yourself into material slavehood. Because when you get yourself into material slavehood, you are basically putting control of your life away from the Lord and onto people. Where now you have to go and you have to make sure that you pay them first and foremost And I believe one of the main reasons that church in many ways isn't very good at giving away things is because we are indentured servants and slaves to indebtedness. Because if you're in debt and you have all these things you've got to pay, all these credit card things, you don't have the means to go and bless another person. The book that I've been reading has been called Margin. And one of the areas of margin in our lives is financial margin. Remember I preached a sermon some months ago on the, on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about the assets that that Good Samaritan had that he was able to bless. And he had one thing. He had financial margin. He had financial ability to be able to bless. He had time. He had compassion. But he also had finance to be able to go and put that person up and make sure all the bills were paid until that person got well. And we got to ask ourselves in our lives, do we have that margin? Do we have financial margin in our life? Have we led a life of simplicity and contentment in the Lord such that we have the time, we have the compassion, compassion's going to come from the Lord, and it comes through a personal relationship with the Lord. But if you're so busy doing this and doing that and never have the time to worship and to praise Him and to meditate upon His Word, you're not going to have compassion. You're going to be too worried about paying debts and doing this and going there. You're not going to have the time. You're not going to have the eyes to see the hurting and those in need. So the Lord, I believe, challenges us through the Word of God that He wants us to have this margin. Margin really is where you're at now and your limit to where you start breaking and hurting. And most Americans are right on the threshold of their margin. And they're hurting emotionally, physically, financially. They are hurting because they have no room, no buffer. They are driven. We've talked about progress and the payment that progress must bring to us and contentment that is so lacking in our lives. But the Lord desires that we be totally content in Him, not in a society not in a worldview, not in a culture, not in material possessions, not in power or prestige or degrees or anything like that. He desires we find contentment alone with him. And I guarantee one thing, if you truly have contentment in the Lord, you are going to have financial margin. You're going to have physical margin, emotional margin in your life. And so I encourage you to think about those things because the Lord says on a material basis, he says, do not get yourself in trouble because I don't want you in any way to be a slave to anything except for me. We are to be the slaves of Jesus Christ. And if you are a slave to something else, then that part of you is not a slave to Christ anymore. 
He can't call you. You can't do certain things. You can't bless certain people because if you're in all this debt and problems, then you have really handcuffed the moving of the Holy Spirit in that area of your life. We can say, yeah, it's better to give than to receive. But if you have nothing to give, then we can't bless. We can't promote. We can't help. We can't allow compassion to work in our lives to be able to bless other people in that way. And so there are implications in our lives to being a slave. Certain rights that are taken away from us as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ when you become a slave to anything. That's why Paul says, let nothing be your master, including materialism, including debt, including the bank. Oh, ow. Let nothing be your master. Let nothing control you in such a way that you relinquish to the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, our God is a jealous God, and he desires every component of your life. Everything about you, he desires that you would put him Lord and Savior and controller of your life. And there is freedom in that. There is freedom in being not in debt, amen? There is freedom to to getting debt dealt with. And we can spend a lot of time about, about how to get out of debt. And there's a lot of good things out there, I believe, from the Christian ministries that would help you do that. But I'll tell you one thing. The first thing that has to happen if you want to get out of debt is called repentance. Yeah? Any positive thing that you're going to do in your life as a Christian, it always has to start with repentance. Because what would happen is if you had $100,000 in debt and somebody says, I want to bless you today, brother. Here's $105,000. Pay off all your debt. If there was not repentance in your heart, what would happen to that person? They wouldn't change their ways. In six months or a year, they'd be in debt again. Because our heart has not changed. It has to start with a heart change. So for this introduction, I'm talking a little bit about material. And this is what the Lord has me right now. He's saying, Ty, I want to be able to use you. I want to be able to speak to you. I want to be able to send you places. But I can't. When I first got out of school, the Lord gave me a revelation about the timing and how I was supposed to pay back debt. And I looked back and it's like, man, that's been three years. The plan was two years and I'm still in debt. And I have more. And it wasn't because I was wise. It's because I made foolish decisions. And we got to come to the place where we start, start not looking at, oh, I had this catastrophe, so I had to put it on a credit card. We got to get away from the blame shifting. And we got to say, no, it was me. I charged it. I did it. I made a mess of the thing. Lord, forgive me and help me. Help me, Lord God. Help me to change my heart. Help me, Lord God, to be able to find a strategy. Help me, Lord, give me wisdom. Bring people around me. Maybe there's people, I guarantee there's people in this church that have gone through that and, and have been successful in, in, in being good stewards. Find those people out and ask for their help. Amen? I've, I've worked with people in this church that, that for a season will do it right. They'll, they'll ask for help and they'll have accountability, but over a season they drift back. And so we got to know where we're at. We got to know how the weaknesses that we have and we got to ensure that there's enough accountability to help us to be successful and to be faithful. Let's turn. We're going to transition now to the spiritual aspects of slavehood and indebtedness in Matthew chapter 18. This is a scripture where the Lord tells a parable. The parable talks about material wealth. The parable on the surface talks about monetary indebtedness. 
But the Lord was going beyond that, and he was trying to make a point beyond materialism, beyond physical material debt, and he was trying to get to the spiritual implications of debt. So Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debts. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So let's look at this in the financial really quick. So we have a a man who owes his Lord. How many talents? 10,000 talents. My Bible has a footnote that says one talent is equivalent to approximately 15 years of labor. This man owed how much? 10,000 talents. Talents, 10,000 times 15. Not a good number, amen? Not where I want to be in my accounts. If I did my math right, we're talking about 150,000 years worth of income. That is a lot of debt. If you take the average, I took an average of 30,000 per year. Is that fair? 30,000 a year. That's, that's pretty simple. 30,000 a year times 150,000 years, and we got $4.5 billion. That sounds like the U.S., doesn't it? I think we've got that even beat. I think we're in the trillions, aren't we? Can you imagine if you personally owed $4.5 billion? I can't imagine 20,000, 30,000. 50,000, 4.5 billion. Man, I could do the calculations and I can look at my, 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 how much I think I'm going to make over the next 70 years of my life. And I'm far short of 4.5 billion. 
I might be at a million or two, but I ain't getting close to no 4.5 billion. But his Lord, he begged under the threat of himself and his wife and his children being sold basically into slavery and all their possessions gone. He begged his master, his Lord, say, would you forgive me and I will pay it all off. Come on. If somebody owed you $4.5 billion and they said, just be patient and I'll pay it off, I would be a little bit skeptical. How about you? Right? He didn't take him seriously. For, you're going to pay back $4.5 billion. But out of his compassion, he had pity on him and erased the debt. $4.5 billion. The man could have never paid that off. And his Lord took pity on him. And then he himself had servants under him that owed him some money. How much money did they owe him? A hundred denarii. My Bible tells me that a denarii is equal to a day's wage. So we're talking about a hundred days worth of wages. Again, with the same scenario of a person making 30000 a year, we're talking about approximately $8,000. So this man had just been forgiven a debt of $4.5 billion. Now he goes to one of his servants who owes him 8000 and he demands the money. And his servant does the same thing, gets on his needs and pleads and says, I will pay it all back. That's reasonable, amen? 8000 is reasonable. If somebody told me, uh, I owe you $8,000, i will get it back to you. For the most part, I'm going to believe that person. I think they had the means within a period of time to pay me back the 8000 Not the $4.5 billion, but the 8000 that's doable. I can work with that person. But this person, after receiving all that forgiveness of debt, basically starts to choke him and threaten him and says, I will throw you into the jailer. And demanded that money now. What's the spiritual application? The Lord was not just talking about financial debt here, was he? This whole thing was prefaced on what? Peter's question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive when somebody sins against me? That's the preface. That's the introduction. And Jesus goes into this parable about materialism. And he ends with the same thing. He concludes it by saying what? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He's not talking about financial debt here. He's talking about sin that might be exacted against you, someone that sins against you, and he does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again, and again, and again, and again, and he keeps coming back to you and saying, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. Well, at what point do you finally say, no more? Well, one thing that you got to recognize is forgiveness is not inherent in you and me. Forgiveness is a character of God. And as long as God is still alive, which I'm pretty reasonably sure is going to be forever, then his character always has the capacity to come into you and to flow out of you. See, when you forgive your brother or your sister, you are basically giving away divinity. It's divine. I remember when Pastor Hanson told, told the story so many times about the man that he had to forgive. And the Lord had to chasten him for a number of years. The sin that that man commit was grave. And only through the grace of God and the character of God coming and controlling a man could he give that away. Yeah? 
So when you forgive somebody that sins against you repetitively, it's not you. It's God working through you. You're not giving away your own asset. You're giving away an asset of the Lord. And that is forever. Forever. There is no point in which you say, I have no more forgiveness to give unto you. Now, you might participate a little differently with that brother as far as financial reasons. He's not asking you to be foolish. But as far as forgiveness of sin committed against you, at what point can you say, I can no longer forgive your sin? The Lord has forgiven all sin once and for all. He is an eternal commodity. He is a resource that never runs dry. And it will flow in you and it will flow out of you as long as you will it and desire it. There are things that people do that sometimes it's hard to forgive. Amen? There's times where I want to cut that conduit off and say, Lord, I'm not going to receive forgiveness and give it out that way anymore. They've hurt me too many times. And the Lord always reminds us about what he did for us. You see, that we were dead in our transgressions. We had this sin debt that was equivalent to $4.5 billion. That's what the Jesus is trying to get at with this parable. He says, you and me had a sin debt that could not be paid. You, had, you owed $4.5 billion sin debt money, and you could not pay it. And Jesus says, in the midst of that indebtedness that you could never even fathom to pay, I have come and I have paid that debt for you. I have paid your sin debt. It is an eternal debt. We need a revelation from God to understand what that means. You recognize that when he paid your sin debt, he basically paid it for eternity. He sat you where we rightly belong is on the pathway to hell, sons and daughters of wickedness, and he has canceled the debts, not by begging like that servant did, but by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicted you of your sin. You recognized it. You agreed with him. You asked him to come into your life and be the savior of your life. And at that moment, he erased your $4.5 billion sin debt and he placed you in a pathway of eternity in relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? He canceled your $4.5 billion. And now he says, out of the abundance of that $4.5 billion sin debt that he canceled in your life, can't you look at another brother or sister that, that might owe you a little trinket, a little $8,000 sin debt? Yeah? A little $8,000, something so insignificant when compared to $4.5 billion, something so small. When a brother or a sister sins against you, doesn't respect you, grumbles against you, maybe they gossiped against you, whatever it is, it is so small compared to the 4.5 billion sin debt that Jesus Christ forgave in your life. That's the spiritual application that Christ was coming to. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2? The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our what? Our debts, as we have also been forgiven. Yeah? He has forgiven our debts. And it's because of that that we can let it flow through us to forgive the debts of others. He paid the price 
for our debt. And because of Christ, our account has been settled. Our sin account that was severely in debt, such that we could never pay it off, Jesus Christ settled the account. He settled the accounts in our life. And these principles, I believe, affect every area of our life. Because of the spiritual principle that He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free from everything except Himself. We are to be bond servants to Jesus Christ. That's why the spiritual principle affects every area of our life. That's why we can talk about stewardship of money. Because the principle is the same. He paid the debt. Don't go into bondage to another person. Now, I'm not going to draw the line for you and say, this is where you can borrow. This is where you can't borrow. But you've got to bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I do not want to be controlled by another. Should I invest this way? Should I get in debt this way? And we really need to start receiving and hearing from the Lord in these areas. Because if you don't do it, it doesn't take very long where you look and all of a sudden you're controlled a lot more than you wanted to be controlled. And you have given up the sovereignty of Christ in your life in certain ways and you have placed it upon other people. We don't want to return to slavehood and the implications that slavehood has for our lives. We want to continue the love debt. Return back to Romans chapter 13. Paul here is first talking, I believe, about things that are very practical, financial, indebtedness. And then he turns to the spiritual. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus Christ, as he has paid off your $4.5 billion sin debt, he has placed within you himself And now he says, basically, the principle in which we should live by is owe no man anything except the debt of continuing to love one another. That's a debt that we continue out of our gratitude and our love for our Savior to receive the love of God and to pass it on. We can do this in so many ways. I mean, basically, it's the golden rule. We treat each other, we treat each brother and sister the way we want to be treated. This is extending love. Not just in words and theory, but as John says, in action and in truth. To love one another. It's so practical. We can The way that I can love one another is if I see a brother that's sinning, let's say, If I truly love that brother, I go to him and I confront him in a loving manner with his sin, right? That's loving the brother. It's easier for me to see a sin and say, forget it. I don't want to, I don't want to get a conflict. I don't want to talk to him. They've grieved me. It's it's, it's hurt our relationship a little bit, but I don't like conflict. So therefore, I'm just going to leave it alone. Remember the class that we took on conflict? 
We really do our brothers and sisters an injustice when they have done something to faction our relationship, yet we fail to go to them. Isn't that right? When Jesus, Jesus Christ, He came to us and He reconciled Himself to us in our sin. Even before you were created, Jesus saw the sins that we committed and He set in His heart to come and to die for you and me. Our next class, I want to make a, our push for the next class. I think it's going to be a great class. I, I don't remember the title though. Pastor Tom, you have to help me out. Something about deception or something. So basically a biblical perspective on deception. And I'm looking at the book right now and I've been thumbing through it this morning. It's called Stop the Runaway Conversation. Take Control Over Gossip and Criticism. And I looked at the back, and this is what it says. It says, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can sure hurt too. Negative speech affects every home, every church, and every workplace. Now, the thing about I, that we had to look at it, and this thing is, if, if I wanted to get a serious, I want to say, how many in our, people in our, in our congregation right now are, are guilty at times of gossiping or slandering or speech that is unproductive speech that doesn't build up but tear down all of us i am so guilty of that guilty 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 we are all guilty at times of saying things that we ought not to say there are all of us we're all guilty of it i do it probably every day where if the if the reality is i shouldn't have said that word i shouldn't have said that word I shouldn't have said that. I, shouldn't, I, I had a wrong motivation for why I wanted to say it. It was a self-centered motivation, not a Christ-centered motivation. I am guilty of that every day. And so are you. This is the reality of it. And I tell you what, you'll never, you'll never be able to move and progress in these areas unless you, come to that, unless you wanted to say that's true. We all have speech that tears down and hurts other people. We all do it. I do it all the time. He goes on to say, what he says it here too, every church, every home, every workplace suffers from negative speech. What do you say when you're caught in an ungodly conversation? How do you avoid speaking harmful words? What do you do when others want you to engage in gossip with them? Stop the Runaway Conversation offers positive and effective strategies to prevent you and those you care about from becoming evil reporters. It answers such questions as, what is meant by an evil report and how do I recognize it? What if I just listen without comment? Is that okay? Can I learn to respond biblically to people who gossip and murmur? This book will help you to use words that bring healing and hope. I had one regret several weeks ago. I talked about the sermon, The God of All Comfort. And I talked about legal versus illegal ways that we do certain things. And one of the, the, way, the things that I wanted to bring up and failed to bring up was this issue of gossip because the Lord's really been working in my heart about ways that I've had unproductive, unbeneficial, and tearing down speech in my own life. And when it comes down to it, one of the reasons that we gossip or have unproductive speech is because is temporary comfort. Yeah? Temp- you got to ask yourself, when you, when you have those times where you say, oh, I shouldn't have said that, was, my, that was a wrong motivation in my heart. 
You got to ask her. You got to go beyond that. You got to say, why did I say that? Lord, show me in my heart. What caused me to say that thing? That was filthy. It was self-centered. It was putting another person down to lift myself up. Those things that we do on a fairly consistent basis, we have got to ask the Lord, Lord, would you show where that came from? Right? We have got to get to the root of it because he wants to heal us at the root. To just say, oh, that was unproductive speech. Lord, forgive me. That's okay, but that's just like the outside. That's the manifestation. But the heart situation has never been dealt with. We have got to go beyond that. So you can say, Lord, show me in my heart. There's a wound. There's a pain. There's a frustration. There's an anger. There's something in there that promoted that. I believe that to be true. And one of the reasons that I at times gossip or I put people down or I put another person down to lift me up. The reason I do that many times because it gets me a temporary comfort. I feel good about myself for a temporary moment. It is one of those illegal comfort things that we do in our own lives. And so this book and this class, I have no doubt with the class, the class is on spiritual deception. And I imagine that you can put spiritual deception and talk about unproductive speech and talk a lot about it. But I believe that this is one of the main comfort things that people do, whether you're inside the church, outside the church, in the workplace. I mean, it's pervasive. I mean, Dr. Mike, you have a staff at your dental clinic. Is this not one of the issues that you deal with on a continual basis? I see it all the time at the clinic that I work at. Unproductive speech. Speech that tells information that should not have been told. Speech that criticizes the person so that person can feel secure for that moment. I see it doesn't matter if you're in the secular or in the church. It is pervasive. It is one of those things about our fallen nature. And so this is, I believe, and I'm excited about taking this class. And I hope that you are too, because this is a pervasive problem in our lives, in my life. And I want the Lord not just to show me the external, but I want him to show me my heart of why I do these things. And he desires to show you your heart. He desires to bring it down and show you, because he is the binder of the brokenhearted. He's the one that sees your wounds. Gossip and slander and unproductive speech, they're just leap pads out of wounds and pains of our hearts. And we never justify them by those wounds or pains, but we do allow the Lord to go to the root of the situation and show you why we do those things. And so I pray, this is going to be a very important class, I believe, for every person. I encourage you. Pastor Tom has multiple copies of the book and the syllabus, and I encourage you to take this class. This one is so important. This is, the, this is how we love one another. You know, with your words, you can bless or you can curse. Do you understand that? Your words can bless and it can curse. And I am here to say, as even a pastor, that my words at times bless and at times my words curse. But I don't want it to be that way. I want the Lord to show, to reveal, to heal. The Bible gives that principle that you cannot control your tongue in and by yourself. Why? Because if you have deep hurts and pains and frustrations and angers, out of the abundance of a man's heart, the mouth speaks. You cannot control it at this point. It's got to be controlled at this point. And the Holy Spirit wants to put that control in our lives. He wants to heal us so that our speech is productive and healing. Remember the tongue and your destiny. 
The tongue really paints your destiny as a person who builds or a person that breaks down. And the Lord desires in all of our lives in this church to heal us in such a way that our words can change destinies of people. Amen? That's how you pay back your love debt, friend. By building a person up. By encouraging. Ask yourself in a serious way. Say, Lord, do I spend more time either in my mind or with my lips putting people down or talking about people in unproductive ways? Or do I spend more time encouraging people and building them up? We've got to ask that question in our lives. I've got to ask that question. Where's the balance in my life? Am I an encourager like Timothy? Am I a strengthener? Am I a reconciler? Am I one that builds the kingdom of God? Or do I tear down the kingdom of God? For all of our lives, yes is the answer. We do a little bit of both. And Lord, help us to be more of a builder than a destroyer. Amen? That's just the reality of the situation. You and I are not perfect. We never will. But we can attain the line of perfection. We can continue to progress to perfection. But that will only come by one way. Putting yourself in a position for the Lord to speak to you in these areas. To say, yes, I am guilty. And I want you to heal me and set me free. I want you to teach me these things, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to be able to be an encourager. Teach me, Lord, to be able to love and to forgive. Teach me, Lord, how to see people before myself. That doesn't come natural. That is very unnatural. I see my hurts first. And I might get to yours. But the Lord says, can you allow me to work in such a way through your life where you can see other people's needs before your very own? And as soon as you come to that point, all of a sudden, the Lord starts meeting your own needs. You don't have to have other people to do it. You don't have to have unproductive speech to try to meet your own needs. You don't need illegal ways to find comfort because you find the God of all comfort. And so can I encourage you to take this class? It's going to be a great class. I don't know who's teaching the class. Pastor Tom, do you know? This guy right here, Dr. Michael Sedler. I don't believe we've ever offered a class by Dr. Michael Sedler. So I know nothing about him, but I believe the topic is so important. And I've only been a Christian for 10 years. So I haven't been around very long as a Christian. I've only been in a few different churches, but you know what? I've been around an apostle long enough, and I've heard a lot of stories about you know, what's pervasive in the church, whether it's America or throughout the world. And I'll tell you one thing that's, that's the core of breaking down. It's unproductive speech. This is it. It's not physical murder. It's character assassination, yeah? It's not physical murder in the church that's, that's breaking down the church. It's character assassination. It's, it's saying things. It's grumbling. It's complaining. This is what Moses and his church had a problem with, right? Grumbling and complaining and gossiping and backbiting. This is, a, this is what Paul spent so much time talking to all those churches that he established. Every, every book of the, that Paul wrote talked about gossip and talked about slander and talked about backbiting and unproductive speech. And he tells us what? To, to do things that build up and to edify Meditate on the things that are lovely and good. So I believe this class is going to be lovely and good. I believe it's going to be horribly terrific. You know why? Because it's going to expose me. This class is going to expose me, my sin. And it's horribly terrific, but it's, it's something that we've got to do in our lives. Will it be about this topic or any other topic? We've got to allow, put ourselves in a position for the Lord to examine us. This class is going to be one of those ways, one of the ways 
that the Lord can examine you. So we ought to do what Paul says. We ought to go about and pay off that love debt, just giving that love away. It happens through healing. It happens through revelation. It happens through an engagement and encounter with Jesus Christ. The way that I'd like to encourage you to respond today is many. We've talked a little bit about financial debt. That wasn't my core intent. I use that more as a platform about any area in our life where we're in debt in negative ways. Because when you're in debt in negative ways, you cannot pay the debt of love. It competes with your love. It competes with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want this body, and I want every person in this body to be able to receive divine love and to give it away. And the Lord says today, will you examine your life? Is there any areas, whether it be material or any other way, emotional, that you have given a certain aspect of the sovereignty of God in your life away and you're in debt to something other than Jesus Christ? Let him examine you today. Meditate on it. Meditate on Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Oh, no man, anything. Be without debt except the debt of loving with the agape love of Jesus Christ. It's a personal revelation. For me, it's going to be something. For you, something different. But put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord on this issue. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.